afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and hopefully children. Um, my guest this morning um, is the wonderful Megan Scully. She is a dear friend of mine. We've got to know each other over the last couple of years. Um, so the next two voices you'll hear will be me and Megs. Shooting the breeze, man. Enjoy. Hello. Good evening, Mrs. Scully. How are you? This is very advanced. I never knew about this before and I'm very impressed. Merci beaucoup. (laughs) I typed in genuinely this morning. I typed in best podcast platforms and they were like, gave me all the recommendations. And then I downloaded one and I've gone with this one. Shout out Anchor. And it uploads to like Spotify and and Google Play and all your regular podcast channels. Just what you want. I know. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Did Lawler and Goggins. So my mind is kind of lovely, blown, inspired. And now I have the treat of having Megan Scully here. Here, let me do the introduction. Okay. And then I I, I don't know how to edit. So all this is going to be in, but whatever. So, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tuners into the Tiger Paws Junior Podcast. Um, my name is Brian Roach. Joining me tonight on the 21st of January 2021, which is a really good date, at 6.58pm on a cold Thursday evening is Megan Scully. Um one of my friends, and a terribly inspiring person. Good evening, Megan. Oh, well, I'll tell you, that is some introduction, Brian. Thank you so much. And I have to say, I'm delighted to be here on the 21st day of the 21st year of the 21st century. Unreal, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind a of fate. And, yeah. It's a oh, we should have done it at nine. We should have done it at nine, not seven, because then it'll be 21. Yeah, well, sure, look, we could probably be here till 21. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Um, I also realise I do this with my voice when I talk, just when I'm prepping. Oh. Why? Why is that? Like you're pretty well versed on talking into a microphone. Why do I? It's so annoying. Is that your tongue and your teeth, or what is it? Yeah, it's like my the words are prepping to get out. It's weird. Interesting. That's. Mm, I wonder where you picked that up because you're, you know you're a trained actor, so I'm sure you don't do that when you're on 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 stage or on camera. I didn't look for it. But now I'll just all I'll see, all I'll hear is it's like a Tourette's tick. Maybe the listeners will get used to it, but I certainly get pissed off at it. Oh, interesting. Now, now I feel like that's all I'm going to hear for the whole time. <laughs> oh, please, no, no, ramble on. I, I'll try and not talk because I was on to Lawler this morning, Claude Lawler, and all I did was interrupt and talk over and sound recording sounds terrible so i might have to do it again i don't know i'm sure you'll be fine don't worry okay go on go on i've heard my voice enough today what and who and where are you oh where do where do you want to start i mean are we going back to my birthplace or like that you know there's there's a bit of a long story there you start from the start and i'll ask questions and i think you're well, sometimes I say to people, because they ask, where, where am I from? And I always say, um, I was born in Leinster, raised in Connacht and living in Munster. 
So, um, and don't ask me who I support in rugby because I can't answer that. Anyways, moving on. I was born in Dublin. Um, <laughs> born in the Coombe Hospital. Um, but I suppose Ardrahan is now the place of home. But that's where my mother was originally from. And my father was from Gort, which they're both South Galway. They're basically a village in a town. And uh, they did, I suppose, the, the usual 80s thing, got married. And I think dad was already living up in Dublin at the time, but he came home one weekend, met my mother, the rest is history. And then when they got married, she moved up to Dublin and they started, I suppose, married life and had my brother and I. And we lived in Dundrum, uh, which everyone knows Dundrum now because of the shopping centre. But back then it was like this really gorgeous little suburban kind of village. Um, everyone knew everyone. Everyone was from the countryside and did the whole thing of getting married and moving to, the, to Dublin. And all our neighbours were the same age as us. Like, it, was, it was really nice. It was like, I suppose, that very um, kind of lovely neighbourhood with like, you know, really nice neighbours and all the kids knew each other and you just you hung out with everyone. Um, but when we were five, when I was five and Marcus would have been about seven and a half, eight, our parents um, had split up when we were younger and then... At that time, then mum decided she wanted to get out of Dublin and she brought us to Unspidzel in Connemara, Hunnanagalliva. Um, she had one friend there and she rang the friend up, I think one time was like, I don't know where to go with kids. I, I don't want to move like back home to my mother's place and I just, I don't really know where to go and, but I want to get out of Dublin. So her friend was like, well, come to Spiddle, like Spiddle's, you know, on the beach and it's like beautiful. So that's what we did. We upped and moved and went from the, I suppose the, the, housing estate in Dundrum that was beside all the shops and you know bus into Dublin city centre and all the amenities to the most beautiful village on the beach um, in Spittle so we parked ourselves there for five years so then my brother and I started in the local schools and at that stage we'd already started up in Dublin so this was our second um, national school and I can't believe you just compared Dundrum to Spittle I've never heard that one before no, sorry. Like, what I meant was like Dundrum was like that real kind of quaint city village. Yeah, Dundrum is super quaint. We'll just go down and it's so nice. It's like talky. No. And now you're going to Spiddle. You're like, yeah, Spiddle's the exact same. It's just beautiful and picturesque. And well, Dund- I'm digging too great. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, kind I'm thinking of- Dundrum pre-shopping centre. It's definitely different now. When I go back now, I'm like, oh my God, this place has totally changed. But the old Dundrum was just so lovely and it was really quiet. But yeah, Spiddle then was obviously a beach like resort for us so I thought I was in holidays every day because I had a beach at my front door pretty much and yeah the only thing was obviously the Irish but like we were small so we we kind of became fluent pretty much straight away so yeah we were so I'm ever grateful and forever indebted to lovely Spiddle for my Irish can't fall because I just got to learn the Gaelga there and became fluent and it's just it stayed with me now for my whole life and now I went on to study on Gaelgog's Manora in University of Limerick because of Spiddle. So Irish is very much the part of my life now and that's all because of those five years. So that's why you were on Gulliver jersey and then your jersey's kind of changed to Limerick. It was like half seas. Well, no, actually was... that Limerick didn't come into it for a while yet. I, I went from Spiddle then to Ardrahan. We spent, after the five years of Spiddle, we moved to Ardrahan because when we were in Spiddle, we were always renting and we actually had we had a we first moved there. We we rented someone's holiday cottage for for a couple of months, but then they needed that back. So then we rented um, a chalet in Knock Ferry, which is the far side of my Cullen. But Mum kept us in the same school because she wasn't. Gonna, we were only going there for a few months, and she didn't want to uproot us for a couple of months. So we still went. And when you say you rented a chalet, that that strikes me as like Val Desire. No, no, you no, rented no, no. chalets now in out um in, in, I know because I was the same when I lived in chalet. I obviously grew up in chalet in Spiddle, and then. 
when I moved, went skiing and saw the chalets, I was like, um, a little bit different, a little bit different. I, would they call them chalets out there? But I suppose they're kind of like granny flats, really. You know, just people build a lot of holiday homes because it's so picture. Caravan pass. Pretty much, yeah. Like they're, they're, yeah, they were like, they're, ours was always like a big sitting room and then all the bedrooms were off it and then a, a small little um, kind of kitchenette and bathroom. Like they were very small and like we went from having, my parents were married with a three-story house in one of those nice estates in Dublin with the garden nice. and the picket fence and whatnot. And then we were like renting chalets for a couple of years because we kind of, I suppose mum didn't really figure out where she wanted to fully settle. And then we got a... But she was loaded. So she went for the chalet and... We were living, living life in the chalet. And then we got to another chalet in Spiddle and then we stayed there for a couple of years. And then, then we built um our house in Ardrahan beside my granny's house on the farm. So... That looks so nice from your socials. It looks... Your dog is there. Yeah. Your yeah. mom is pretty pretty um enlightened so you're like asking her questions and sorry i'm getting distracted yeah no we do with great relations home and then yes yeah, so i suppose i it's it's still home mum is still there and i it's 2007 i came to ul to study and then um yeah and then and now i've come full circle i'm back here again now tom on on fair has clore neil may limnock neil may oh because um, yeah yeah, so Conium in Ardnach Russia, August Arn Cook Megadi, St. Munchens College. Elimni. Stocks Elimni. Stad Elimni, August. So, like, I don't, you're above and below me, but I don't understand. Ni Higgum, like, I love Claire so much. The Burn, um, Key, La Hinch. Spanish Point, Liston, Ver- like, you're going to offend me a lot tonight. Well, I, I might rigorously debate <laughs> that Connemara is worse than, than Ballyvaughan. Sorry. Oh, Connemara is my spiritual home. Like, that's my that's my bread and butter there. And I always say to my mum and stepdad, I'm like, would you ever, like, you know, buy your own chalet out there and have our own little holiday home in Spiddle? So I think someday I'll, I'll have a piece of, piece of Connemara in some way. Oh, I hope you get there because I'll come stay. Oh, I do okay. love Connemara and Renville and oh, oh we spent yeah. like two weeks in Tullochmore. Oh yeah. Filming a thing when I was about ten. And it's just lovely, but the burn, how can like that's world famous, top ten. Well I've given I'll world. give you a good fact. You can see the burn from my home house and the limestone, would you believe, limestone ends in Ireland in Ardrahan, which is for good distance away from the burn, but whatever way it dipped down, it came back up through the soil. So we have a field in our farm that is completely covered in limestone. I mean, that's nice for your farm because you get a bit of clear. Hey. Are you jealous when you look across and go, oh, I'd love to live. Like, I'd love if all our farm was. No. No, I just see it's Galway for me, Galway through and through. You can't, you can never take Galway out of the Galway girl. Ah, fair. Totally fair. That's why I think we'll have a rigorous debate <laughs> on on the west of Ireland because the Wild Atlantic Way are literally pitching themselves against each other. Yeah, they are. But and they're cleaning up. You see, in Galway as well, you've got Galway City then, so you've got the trad and the social scene and, oh, like, it's just dreamy. Ennis literally had the flag. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, yeah, that's true. Ennis and the, the trad there, that, that uh, when it came that time, that was pretty cool, but... You need to get, and actually, Willie Clancy as well. So I, I won't take that for me. And singles go there to to find love. Like Claire is amazing. 
You have Galway girls. I get it. But I just love, and TG Carr, which I love. It's a good debate. It's a good debate. Like Limerick will give him the All-Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and you work for the Limerick Post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to give that book Go well. on. Keep going, keep going. Sorry. Well, where would you like me to go? Well, I suppose then... Um... Where did you go after? After the chalet in Ardrahan? No, we built a house in Ardrahan, so that's the home house. And then I yeah. went to Seamount in Kinvara, and my brother then went to Garbley to boarding school in Ballinasloe. And um, mm. yeah, so I spent three years in Seamount, and then I moved to Gort because I just, I kind of got to stage right. I just, I needed a change, and I wanted to go to obviously the mixed school and not the convent anymore. And I got my way. So I, I finished out my leaving cert cycle in court and I loved it I and I love Seamount too looking back I actually loved all my schools so I went to three national schools two secondary schools and two universities and I have to say I'd, I I actually loved the education system I know people give out about it but I actually really enjoyed my time in school and but that that makes sense because you were like Dublin Galway Limerick you love that change of scenery to learn and experience different people and yeah stuff. and that's why I think now it's really benefited me I suppose working in media because I obviously interview people mm. quite a lot that I've never met before, but because I've lived and moved so much and been the new girl so many times, I can pretty much put myself into any situation and I'll find people to talk to. And I think that's really stood to me from all the moving and the, the swapping and changing and everything. It just it's actually in a way it's benefited me in the career that I've chosen because it means that I'm I'm no I'm not nervous to speak to people because I had to do it all my life to try and make friends. So it's uh, but- well, that's why I asked you on the podcast, dude, because you inspire me. And I think the podcast is going to be called something like Inspirational Stories or I really dig your vibe on socials. Oh, thank you. When did we meet? When, when and where? Well, we established recently that we actually met in 2017 or 18. At the, Seventh, yeah. Board yeah, show in Dublin so. and Tiger Paws there and I got a photo with him. And then we were both nominated for Newcomer of the Year at the Digital Media Awards last February in Dublin, which was probably pretty much our last big night out. And same table, so we got to hang out. So that was like, that was a year ago we got to properly hang out. Do you know I requested to be on your table? Did you? I did. I requested, can I sit next to the Limerick Post? No way! Yeah, because I was by myself. Like the lads weren't available to come with. My sister was supposed to call Mishy, but she backed out because she was working. And I was like, okay, at least I can strike up a convo with Scully and, and Kean and is Ben. Uh, Billy, her will, her boss, yeah. Billy will boss. What a ledge. And it was a lovely night because I felt comfortable with Limerick so as opposed to Dublin heads who are paying for marketing. Those things, I don't know how I feel about. But it was really nice to be appreciated for doing something right in the industry. And yeah, and to be recognised and to be at the award show because it was a really cool night. And you got silver. Oh, we did. We got silver up against. Yeah, we got a. We were delighted with that because we were, were to get nominated was amazing, and for the show was wasn't even a year old. So to get in, uh, to get the silver for us was just huge because it was Keen and I have like spent so like we put a lot of work into the show and just to get recognised and it's like that to get recognised in Dublin. With, as you said, all the Dublin heads, that was like, that was huge for us. Because, you know, sometimes it, you, it's hard to get noticed up there as well when you're away from. Do you know Darce? Darce is coming on, Fergal Darcy is coming on the show, like, oh, next week. Yeah. on the pod. So I'm going to slag him 
that Today FM bought the the victory <laughs> off you. Stole it off me. <laughs> they did. They, they're, they're not newcomers to the digital media act. Like, oh, no, I'm only missing. Um, Nick, apologies Nick. to Today FM for any... But Darcy will take that. Yeah. I'm only missing. Um, so, why are you inspiring? Well, I suppose I suppose a lot the why a lot of people maybe turn to me now and my social media and why I help a lot of people is probably because of my work in grief and yeah two books beautiful but you like if you feel uncomfortable talking about anything if you don't want to go into it's gone into it a few times but family if you want to divulge your story you're more than welcome but don't don't be crying don't on worry podcast. no tears don't. here I won't shed any tears if they are they're happy tears if you want I don't mind it would be an honour to hear your story and you're so open about it which is great but tell the listeners your story yeah so I suppose the first thing I mentioned was my parents separating and you know I remember that time so well it started when I was about two and a half three and I have a lot of vivid memories from my dad moving out and just everything that goes along with your parents I suppose falling out of love with each other and everything that happens around that time and we moved then to Spiddle, Mum, Marcus and I, and I have to say we loved it there. I think it was what we all needed because it was a break from Dublin. It was a break from, I suppose, the, the breakup. And it was also just five, a bit yeah, of fresh air. Five years by beach, learn new language, like we distractions well from everything. And I have to say the people of Spiddle were absolutely phenomenal because, you know, back in the year. To hell or exactly, to And in the early 90s, not many not many parents were really separating and it wasn't really like, a, I suppose, as you, as you wouldn't see, like you see it a lot more these days. But back then it was, there. Like I didn't know anyone that had separated parents. Um, so I guess we, we moved there and we know Irish either. So we moved to the, an Irish speaking area with no Irish, but they absolutely took us under their wings. And we still have so many great friends and family out there that we'd still go out and visit all the time. And well, we could pre-COVID. Um, so it's, it's such a special place for us. And I think we kind of got like, I always say that Spittle was like kind of a, a really nice relief for us because as I said we just got to be very carefree we got to be kids we got to swim all the time and it, like just it was really lovely and then mu- like mum's family were all scattered around Galway as well so we had a lot of them nearby um and also actually so you were like protected by the community absolutely. very much you're, you're two little kids you're single mom that's tough man um and they took it that's very Galway that's really like they community. So like, anything that ever happened in the house, we always could call on a neighbour and they'd come down and, you know, fix something for us. It was always just really sense community. And yeah, I think you're right. Everyone was very protective of us because I suppose people wanted to look after us. Like my mum was 21 when she got married and she was 29 when she was separated. So very young to be yeah. raising two small kids. And, you know, I think we were very easy going with mum because, you know, we just were like happy to kind of see, we wanted her happy as well. So we kind of just made sure, like we always remember, Marcus and I are very protective of her as well and to make sure that she was always kind of, you know, looked after because, you know, the breakup was very tough in her. Um, but then we moved to Ardan and then that's when we built the house. So I suppose it was probably nice for all of us to kind of have somewhere then to call home. And, you know, because we had been renting for a couple of years. So to have somewhere then that was our own was great. And I suppose we kind of knew then this was where we'd be spending our our like our like future and this was Mam's now home. Um, and Marcus went yeah. off to Garbley. I started then in Seamount. Well, I spent, I'd finished off school in, in Laban in Ardan first and then went Seamount and we had some great years. And then dad actually moved back to Galway um, around that time as well. So, there was great. just to see you or um, he for got a he bought a cottage in Crowell, which is nearby um and he yeah he kind of just I think he was had been doing like working with the horses up in Kildare and around Dublin and stuff for a long time and I suppose 
he kind of realized there was everything was in Galway like we were there and dad had a lot of family like dad was from Galway originally himself so it kind of made sense so he came back and he had the horses with him and we kind of it was great then because Crawwell is only about I'd say five miles from Ardrahan so he was close by um, I suppose I got big into the horses then because he was there and he could teach me so that kind of became part of my life Marcus Marcus got big yeah. into rugby because he was in Garbley um yeah, so it was big and big for rugby. So yeah, we did, and I, I remember thinking like when I was about fourteen, I was like, geez, like everything was kind of starting to settle down for us all. Like you know, we all, mom had a home, dad had his home, um, you know, everyone was kind of settled down. Mom and dad actually became really great friends and were getting on really well. Mom went back to college to get a degree, um, when she'd be studying and she'd move into Galway City for the couple of weeks, um, dad would move in with me. So it was really just really like kind of everyone just gone really well, and you know, everyone was. Yeah, nice time. like all the like my mom's family, like mom's one of 11. So there was always someone around to, to hang out with. So it was great. Um, my aunties and uncles are probably more like big brothers and sisters to me. And my cousins then are like nieces and nephews. So it's it's a busy and noisy place. So but it's great. Um, and then I suppose after yeah. life took a turn in 2005, um, March 5th, my brother Marcus was 18 and I was 15. And he sadly was killed in a car accident. Uh, traveling home from rugby training uh, he was the passenger and our neighbor and our friend was the driver um, and he lost his life too so that night we lost Cahill and Marcus two very popular um, sporty like really well-known lads in the community and very much so like pillars of the community like everyone knew Marcus Cahill because we actually funny enough we we are the two families that live closest to the village so you'd always see like he's he's sisters my age as well and there's we're all around the same age so you'd always see us around the village because you know we were the local kids whereas I suppose all the other kids kind of lived maybe a drive away from the pitch we were walking distance like they're one side of the village and we're the other so it was massive massive geez it was massive loss for the whole community and for the extended community of Galway as well and you know Marcus had his garbly connections we'd spiddle we'd Dublin he went to Gwailtuck like we the horses we'd mam's college gang like it was like I have to say I don't think I've ever seen or been at a funeral so big in all my life uh Marcus's was it actually kind of blew us away with how big and busy his funeral was but and the amount of people that came to the door and were just saying to us like you know oh I spoke to Marcus every week and we mam and I were like when was he talking to all these people like how did like mam was like I pay his phone bill his phone bill was never too high so she's like like I just don't know how he like he managed to make time for everyone. He managed to make everyone feel like they were close to him. So at that funeral, everyone was just as much consumed in grief as we were because everyone was had had an attachment to him. Um, so it was kind of for yeah, it was like so, for us that was it was amazing kind of see that as well. We're like, God, this guy has really like for someone who's only eighteen years of age, he really connected with so many people and so many ages as well. Yeah. Like take take a breath for a second, and like that story is very hard, especially for listeners who might be hearing it yeah. for the first time. And your positive attitude through it is very is what inspires me completely. And so you lost your bro, and you'd grown up together. You had. A lovely relationship with both your parents, one of whom moved to Galway to spend time. Um, and your bro died. That's shite. I don't know how I'd feel if my sister died because she's like the closest person to me and my favourite person in the world. 
So I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. I'm like, takes a brave person to get over that, man. Um, and that's inspiring and sad, but that stuff happens. And I don't know why, but okay, keep going. Yeah, and I think you're, you're right there. It's like, I think like for a long time it, it did consume me, but I, I just, Marcus was such a lover of life and he wants to be a vet. He loved rugby, loved playing rugby, GAA. Um, you know, he was, we were really active in the community and we were really kind of, we would have got, we got on with everyone. And I suppose, yeah, our relationship was, was very solid. We, like Marcus was very protective of me. As soon as dad moved out, Marcus jumped into that role, even though he was only like six, seven years of age, he just took on that role because he wanted to look after mom, number one. And then he just took over looking after me. Um, he was quite strict with me and, um, he. Too right. You are ahead of you are. You're. You'd be off working until four a.m. every morning if you didn't oh, have a discipline. Oh, yeah, that's discipline. what I think it was. He gave me discipline because he. He also be give like he made me clean up after myself. He made me like clean my room. He. You are yes, dirty. He was so. Like got so sure. like, Mam and I. Yes. even used to look at his room and be like, "How is he so clean?" He was so neat. It was ridiculous. He just like I have. Qual. I'd say he always had like quality in his room, or I always had quantity. Like I, I just. <laughs> stuff and he always had just what he needed but he always had the best of stuff because Mar- and he was, all, but he was all nice. very much so like you buy you'd buy like he'd much prefer to buy one expensive coat like a good designer jacket whereas I'd be like prefer to buy 10 cheap ones and he'd be like what are you doing you're better off to buy one expensive one and stop buying the cheap stuff and I'm like no because then I have all these colors and all these options and he was like you but like he'd be very practical as well and that's the way he was um but you're bringing in like male, female, you're bringing in birth <laughs> yeah. order and different characteristics because clearly you wanted to make your parents proud and you chose a different route than he had taken because he made them proud in a different sporting sense. Or, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I find the second child always goes a different route and is more intelligent or something oh, I, know great. I would, like mom actually used to joke she say she reckons that if i applied myself in school that she reckoned i was probably more intelligent but he was studying to be a vet and needed like 600 points and he studied so hard and was working towards it and then um, we had both sat our mocks the few days before he was killed and uh, we got his results back and he was well on the way to getting veterinary and he'd applied in budapest and in ucd because he was adamant he was doing veterinary so he didn't mind where he did it once he was it got to do it so he had Budapest there as the backup plan and uh, he actually got accepted into Budapest as well because they put out their offers earlier but we obviously never got to know about UCD because he hadn't sat the leaving cert um, so he was definitely much more diligent than me and definitely a lot more disciplined like he could if he set out he'd set out a timetable like he'd come home with weekends and he'd set out a timetable and I had to go by his timetable as well because if he was studying, I had to study. And I was like, yeah, but I'm only in junior cert. Like, you know, leave me alone. He's like, no, Megan, he'd take the remote off me and turn off the TV. I'm like, you have to study. He's like, I'll tell you when we can watch TV. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I just have to. You're basically Mila Kunis in Black Swan. <laughs> and he's Portman. You are the black and white swan. Like, perfectly in sync. Book and dance, lovely tunes. But Black Swan just does what she wants. White Swan is diligent, yeah, like first Absolutely. Board. And I think, yeah, I think that's the way too. And the, I think the first boards are very much so like that, whereas us second ones tend to kind of, we're kind of, I think we're a bit more dreamers and a bit more like like daydreamers. And like, I've really creative imagination and I just, the scenarios, I... 
I'm firstborn. I'm firstborn. Maybe she's second, but she's more better <laughs> at things. But I always would have won the competitions because I needed to prove myself to my dad. Or I don't know. It's very dynamics of family are very interesting, but your story yeah, is personal. And like Lose Americas that time was just horrendous. Like it was awful. And like I can still remember the house and um, the smell of lilies because we laid Marcus out in our house and I actually to take down doors to fit the coffin in and we lay him out in the, the kind of the kitchen come dining room and everyone came in through the front door and went out the back door and but everyone laid flowers. I remember seeing the garden afterwards and there were the flowers were the whole literally our front garden of our house was just completely covered because everyone brought their flowers and it was like if even the church that day we'd, we brought them all then to the church and there were so many of them we were we like we're struggling to get them all around the altar and I just the, the smell of lilies just still when I get the smell of them it just brings me back to that to that weekend because the smell was just so overpowering so every time I smell a lily I just think funerals and um I just yeah it's it's weird it just brings me straight back and um, I've tried to introduce lilies into my life in a more, I guess, bigger setting just to see But every time the smell, I get it. I'm like, no, no, can't. Um, so, you know, I do get those moments. But um, I suppose when Marcus died, mom and dad were in such a bad way and they were completely broken. And the sad thing about it, too, was their relationship suffered because it's just it's natural that when a child dies, parents like will pretty much you know, they struggle again because they'll even the healthiest of relationships will struggle because they've lost a child. And it's, you know, you're grieving at different moments and different points. And you're like, while one person is angry and others upset and then someone's sad and then someone's, you know. Um, in I mean, you're a part of them. They created you. So they have an individual relationship yeah, with you. Too. So when that's that's so hard to deal with and people deal with grief as you say so differently you were obviously super and I was positive trying to, I was trying to hold yeah and I was trying to hold it off be. because like Marcus was gone so then I was like oh god now I have to step into his role and I tried yeah, what so would I Marcus do yeah up. but like ma'am like ma'am just like I used to wake up at the middle of the night because ma'am would be walking up and down the hallway just roaring crying like like and I tried to put her back into bed and then at the weekends I'd go down and stay with dad and he was just like dad was so angry because he had been ill all his life and he'd grown up with illness and he like spent his life in and out of hospitals and you know he he just had been would say he'd kind of been at death's door so many times but always pulled through and always like cheated death would say and he was all like his friends like we all kind of call him the bionic man because like nothing could like nothing could kill dad he just he could fight every disease and illness and heart attack going and he just all pulled through no matter what. And I yeah. think then when Marcus died, he just felt like this, like he, like he died that day because he like cheated death so many times and he'd gotten so many chances to, to fight it. Whereas Marcus didn't like Marcus was like, while he did go to surgery that night and he did fight, you know, his injuries were just too bad and it, it wasn't enough. So whereas dad, like I think couldn't understand why, you know, why did he get to stay living every time? And why was he the cat with nine lives and Marcus wasn't? And Marcus, I don't think that's something anyone will understand ever. Why does this person get taken and I don't? Or why shit happens? We just don't understand it. But kind of God has a plan, I I think. And you just got to trust that it was just his time and he's moving yeah. on to somewhere better. Or he planned it out for himself. Or I don't know. It's hard to get into it without being... You can't just theoreticize it. 
you have to feel it and you have felt it and for some reason have tried to help others um yeah and, I, and I think like i think yeah it's, it's what you say like it, it's about god, like god's plan and you you do have to like i have to think like that because otherwise i'll crack up if i don't and i have to realize and i have to understand that it did happen for a reason and someone who's listening right now who's at the early stages of grief you won't you won't believe that and you'll hate hearing that and you'll be like absolutely not and but it does it does come with time and and i always say like you know people say time's a healer and i used to hate when people say that say that to me mum used to like hate that as well she's like stop saying that like i hate that um but like i think what i always say is it, time isn't a healer but you need time to heal and that's why i try to look at it and that helps me but yeah i suppose the story doesn't really stop there um so i was there trying to look after my parents i had a very angry father i had a very sad mother and then I was trying to just keep it all together. And school was great. That's why school was great. Because school for me was escapism. I could be the same fun. Like, I was always really giddy. Um, Which school are we in now? died when I was in Seamount. And I then moved to Gort afterwards. But they, everyone knew everyone. Like, oh, everyone from Gort and Seamount were at the Debs. Because Cahill actually went to Gort. Um, and Marcus then obviously went to the boarding school. But he knew everyone from GA and rugby. Um, but we... I moved then obviously afterwards and it was just such, it was nice actually to have a change. Now I was going to a school where everyone knew me and everyone knew Marcus. So it wasn't like they didn't know my story, but it actually, it was lovely transition and it was great distraction. And it was like having boys in the classroom. Like, oh my God, I was like in my element. I was like, this is great. Yeah. My friends were like, don't be too obvious. Like don't like, because they're like, sometimes girls come from all girls schools. You can always pick them out. And I'm like, okay, sorry, I'll try that cool. But like, it was really hard because you had lads there. And you know, obviously it was, I was 15 going on 16. So you're, you're getting into, and you were coming from a nun background, yeah. like you were a convent. Gee, I'm going to make a cup of tea because Jesus, that's a lot for me. Do <laughs> no, you want a cup of tea? Um, I, should, I should pour Where's a glass you? of wine, actually. Um, Maybe we do need a fight right now. Because the listeners are going to be processing your story and going, what? Okay. Yeah, love Kettle's you. boiling if you want one. Okay, um, so you're in, you're from the convent, but you're gone to a yeah, boy and field. Lovely, and I got to, I was playing camogie, and I was on a school team, and we were the first team, girls team in the school to make the All Ireland final. So it was just, it was a great time. It was just a lot of great stuff happened there, and it was really like, it was a great forward thinking school. And I have to say, the teachers were now the teachers in Seamount and Gort were equally incredible because once I lost my brother, they their attitude to me completely changed. Like pre Marcus, it was like study 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 grades 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 like you know like all you should do is study it was very much so emphasis on books after Marcus died teachers just told me look just be here don't even listen don't write notes don't even read like don't even get involved and for weeks they actually like left me sitting there but actually after a while I was like can I get involved and then they're like yeah oh my god do you want to like are you ready and I was like yeah I think I want to get involved and then they're like okay Megan absolutely but take your time and they really have to say give me so much space and it was love so caring teachers just have that innate motherly protective instinct where they just know a kid inside out they take every kid as as themselves when when you had marcus you had a bit of support they knew you were ballet training from him and you were black swan and yourself and then your life was just up just that's the worst and they just were like, right, kid, you are in a very delicate situation yeah. here. We don't know how to deal with. Do what you want. But the good thing as well about that school naturally. was, uh, or the, I suppose the good thing with, or the teachers understood was, 
I actually didn't realize until I lost Marcus, but even my friends told me afterwards, they were like, you talk like when he was still like when he was live, they said I used to talk about him so much. And they said they that's when my friends realized when he died, they're like, OK, we all need to like like step up here because they all knew how close I was to him and how like one girl one time joked that I was she was like, God, you're so obsessed with your brother. And then I was like, what? and then she's like, oh, my God, you're like, you're obsessed <laughs> with him. And I was like, yeah, but like, he's my he was your role model. He was your, your, he, he was the eldest. He guided the way through the field and you were allowed to follow. Knowing all his lessons. As well because That's he clap. very much so took up that role when he, when dad wasn't there. And like, when I, when I, like my dad let me go to discos all the time, but my brother had to check what I was wearing. And like, if I, he didn't like what I was wearing. I had to change because he was like, no, you're not going to a disco dress like that. And I'm like, no, but I was like, all the girls skirts. And he was like, well, my sister won't wear a skirt, put on trousers. And I'd be like, oh, fine. So, like, he'd make me, like, change into trousers, which I hated because all the girls are wearing skirts. <laughs> I'd be... <laughs> I really get a glass wine? No. The coffee is in But, the yeah, so, like, like, it was just... It was, like, oh. I suppose, I probably was obsessed with him. I probably still am. I think people that follow my social media know that I still share and talk about him as though he's still alive. Because I want to keep his memory alive. He is alive inside you. And in your exactly. room and in memories. Well, I think he is. I don't know. Um, so. Yeah. You're 16. Teachers are letting you do whatever the hell you want. Which is based on Marcus's philosophy. You choose learning. Which is a great choice. You hit leave and search. I do. Yeah, so well, I... What happens? Like I said, I wanted... To, because Marcus was so into education and studying, I wanted to do him proud as well. Because I was like, no, I need to do Marcus proud. But also my dad made a deal with me. When I moved to that mixed school, because he was adamant I was not leaving the convent. And like I, I don't really know yeah. why, but I wasn't sent to boarding school, which I'm surprised because... Dad would have went to boarding school, all his family would have. And he was adamant Marcus was always going to boarding school. And that was the plan. But I think because Seamount College had such a great name um, and because it was so close to the house, that's why dad was like, should go to Seamount. And mum never got a say, even though like my parents were separated. So it should, probably should have been mum's say, but no, dad was the boss there when it came to our education. Yeah, I don't know. It's actually right there in the water. It's it is here. It's it's stunning location. Like it's right there in the water in the middle of Canberra. It's it, it's beautiful. When you're driving to Canberra next time, Canberra is like bordering. Yeah, so, yeah it is. Clare, and actually, half Gaunt, the kids yeah. in Seamount are clear, and um, because it's very close to um to Ballyvaughan, all that direction. <laughs> Great. Great half, but but were the kids like better than the Galway kids, or was there a rivalry, or did everyone just like like fame in New York? Was it like the mixture of like no, there was never rivalry. And and it's funny, Gorsh as well, you know, was on the clear border, so we a lot of um we a lot of um people from Tubber and and Kilmena and that side as well, and Gorsh. So very much so, both schools had a mix, but no, there was never really a Galway Clare rivalry at all. You have Bell yeah. Harbour there, yeah. you yeah. have New Inn. Lina it's lovely. there for the sea, seafood. But yeah, so like I... Oh, I yeah, let's get so some when I When I moved to school, like it was actually Marcus that initially got mum on side. Then when mum and Marcus were on side, well, once I had Marcus on side, I knew I'd get mum because she was like 
she, he, that was happening. Then I we had to get dad inside. So we all kind of worked together on this and we got dad inside and dad was like, look, I'll let you go. But he said, if by Christmas your grades drop at all, you are straight back to the convent. And I was like, OK, I promise. So I did. I, I kept up my hard work and I was so happy. But in the meantime, dad mo- decided to move to South Africa after Marcus died, just in the middle of everything. And I suppose he was so angry. Yeah, he was just angry and bitter. He, he decided to go and move to South Africa. And yeah, so what he he went to Cape Town. He'd been, he'd actually lived there in his 20s before he met my mother because he was on the show jumping circuit around, they used to go around the different, like around the world. And he show jumped around South Africa for a while. So he did have a connection to it. But I just, I remember the time thinking, what are you doing? And like, we were all like obviously very grief stricken. And I was like, why is he going in the middle of all of this? Like it's, but obviously he needed to get away himself and probably in a way run away from this and run away from, from everything. Which could have been the best thing for you. Just everyone takes time for themselves yeah. and just, but, I get where he's coming from, but well, I don't know. How did you feel about studying, it? Like, like doing all my homework and doing really well. And that's in the mixed school because I wanted to like, prove to him that I could still study with boys around um, and he never checked in because he was in South Africa and I was mm. like well why am I like what am I doing I'm like doing this for you and you're like you know and I, I never really questioned him because I just wanted to make sure that he was happy but the problem was in South Africa um, he got really sick he was sick anyways he always had um, problems but over there he just got worse now I still don't know what went on over there I don't I haven't spoken to the people that he was with so I don't I've never gone back to that but he just when he got back up from South Africa he was a different man he was very much so frail, very sick, and like he, like he, he deteriorated so much in those few weeks, and I couldn't believe it when I saw him. So he got back, and he was still grief stricken and still angry. But we had the horses, so that kept us going. So we, we still had them. We a beautiful stallion that we had. So we had him going, and we were, you know, we went to a lot of horse riding that Christmas, and he brought me to my first ball. Um, as well and it was like Joe I got to well actually his 50th was the first proper ball we got to go to my dad for his 50th had a masquerade ball in a castle and you know he got to wear a, he was wearing like a top hat and tails and I wore my first ball gown and actually Marcus was still alive so he was there with his tuck so that was really special but then um, for this ball I got to wear a, a ball gown again and it was really nice because it was kind of I suppose adults went to it like well, you didn't really bring kids to it but I suppose I was just of the age where like I could go Um and I we had a great night that night. And yeah. then he went into hospital in the January of 2006. And he was getting like, it was, again, it was routine. Like it was routine stuff. But like this time he had lost Marcus. So he just wasn't, I suppose, I think dad was a fighter. And a, a, he like had like this kind of warrior mentality. Like he would fight any sickness. But now he kind of lost that spark in him. Because when Marcus died, I always say dad gave up and he suddenly, when he got sick, he didn't care anymore. He didn't, he had no desire to fight it. And he'd no, there was nothing that like, I, like he just, like even the horses, I was like, oh dad, like we have the stallion, like we have to keep him going. And we were planning to go and show jumping for the whole summer. And I was going, I was signing up to the SGI, which is the Show Jumping Association of Ireland. And for the first time in my life, my dad was letting me do the show jumping and I wasn't just going to be watching him doing it. He was going to, he was going to school me and he was going to literally, yeah, he finally he was physically he you were good. over to me and this was our plan now. We were switching. We, he was going to school me and teach me and I was going to compete mm-hmm. and that that's where we were going. And for me, it was massive because he finally recognised me as a show jumper and no longer kind of like my dad represented Ireland. So it was very hard to follow in his footsteps. But now suddenly I think he finally believed in me and he 
he saw me compete and realized that I actually had it in me that I wasn't just like didn't want to just sit and look pretty on a pony I actually wanted to get out there and compete and win ribbons and I wanted to do him proud but I also I loved it so it was the first I just think he moved to Canvara Spiddle he just yeah, wanted no, to be no, near you to train a strong connection and plus it was time for he needs to get out of Kildare like he it was it was time for him to go and like back west is where he's from and where he belonged and to fair he was a lot happier when he was closer to us and like mom made, like like he just dad just went through Kildare is very yeah awesome. and probably it's a great place to be awesome. but just my dad was in a very toxic damaging relationship when he was up there and uh, the the woman in question was horrendous to Marcus and I and I don't mind talking about this because it's in my debut book Broken Love I spoke about it um, we actually nicknamed her Poison because she was that's exactly what she was to us and to dad and like I swear when dad was going out with her he had more heart attacks than an, any time of his life and I just she really drove his health into the ground and they were just they were toxic together yeah. it was an awful environment that my brother and I had to be in because we had to spend time with our dad because he was our dad and of course with the, the the separation and the courts the papers stated he had to have a certain amount of time with us but it was like the like the times that we were in Kildare with him was was awful like we hated it because she treated us so bad and she was really nasty to us and she like was very mentally um, abusive towards us and towards dad and but you know, like, thank you for your honesty on that, because that's nice to hear. Um, yeah, some people come into your life and you just you realize yeah. that you're not well suited. So he stayed in. No, thank God they did. She come with him the last time. To the final up, yeah, and he came back, and we were so happy. Huh? He was so happy. And Marcus, he was happy, and yeah. He'd left his horses behind. He'd left his yeah, professional like, he, he, he was able to family. pick up the horses back in, in Crowell's a huge horsey place. So he was able to pick it up back there and all his old friends were around. And to be fair, dad actually, I'd say, was the healthiest he ever was when those few years that he was back in Galway, away from... I know. And the sea air. My, it's the sea air, man. My mother used to be it like, giving out to him gets for in your bones. healthy decisions. I'm like, what are you doing? And then he, I think as well, like that woman, that ex-girlfriend of his was caused an awful lot of damage with between dad Marcus and I as well and it got to a stage where Marcus didn't want like refuse to go up to Kildare during the summers because he just said to mom he's like I'm not going up there anymore I, I refuse point blank and mum said I'm not going to force you and yeah I mean don't dwell on her honestly that's yeah so like, keep, she, yeah, keep she's, going she's gone now and she... she's the past and I think though we learned I learned a lot from Leave her there, though. Leave yeah, her no, there. It sounds I, like you're I, still I old. I, I saw a lot there, and I think it's, but it's given me a lot of, um, I suppose, opened up my eyes to what is healthy and what's unhealthy. So, yeah. And everyone's sound, like everyone's sound, it's just some people are incompatible. Yeah. Like you and Marcus were yin and yang, complimented lovely, whereas they were yin and yang, like two. Two magnets that are plus signs. They just yeah, repel. and I think, and that's and they shouldn't. Took them both a while to realize that. And I think when they both realized that, the both of them were like, "Okay, we need to." And it was good. Then Dad came back to us, and that's when we built a really strong relationship. The whole lot, the four of us together again, were like great friends. I said, my mom and my dad became really great friends then, and they were 
just like they were never uh, romantically involved after that. They were just friends and they actually got on really well. They like my friends used to come to my house and be like, your parents got on really well. And I was like, yeah, they like they great crack together. And then they're like, they're not together. <laughs> and they're, they probably, they weren't good together romantically, but they're great yeah, friends. I'd love to marry a best friend and like still maintain that best friendship and where romance they're, they're sort great, of doesn't work together. They're great banter. They could like, they could bounce off each other and like they'd man be having the crack with dad. And I think he didn't realize, I think he kind of forgot how witty she was. And then you'd see, she'd say something anyways, because she'd be, mom would be like me, she'd be quick witted. And she'd say something next to he kind of look and be like, oh my God. And then you'd be like, I'm like, you know, we all just had really good fun together. And but as I said, Marcus then obviously just pulled, kind of put a bit of a rift there again. But they... you were literally drawn from influences from everywhere. Like, no wonder you're such a good person. Like, you've so many close teaching teachers that are just, you've Dublin, Galway. <laughs> we haven't even got on to your limericks, but like, we're still at like 18 know, yeah. here and we're 48 minutes in. You're very inspiring. Like, because I've been riveted to your talking the whole time. I haven't <laughs> interrupted you that much. Sometimes, I know. But it's, it, it, it'd just be like you talking to the radio if I didn't. But you, you have to realise how um, much you like learning from others. You're, you're like a chameleon. You take learning from everyone, their yeah, best bits, and you put I it into yourself. People, and I, I love like people fascinate me and I think I I think I might come across as and I think yeah I, I think I might come across as standoffish or me intimidating too. when people meet me because I've had people have told me that and I'm like I don't think I'm not intimidating and I'm not standoffish but I like to kind of read the room and I kind of like to listen I do a lot of listening when I first meet people because I'm kind of like sussing out yeah and I do and I pay attention to what's going you do. on and then you do. like yeah. But you're also going, how can I interview you? Yeah. What, what's my story? What's my little hook here? Which is yeah, very everyone, good everyone business. Has a story, like you know? and I everyone has a story. Like that stepmom witch. She's nice. She is. Like her friends think she's great. She's nice. I, I just, you just didn't get on with her because she didn't, I don't yeah, know. You learn from everyone's the, nice. The bad if you get people, to like it. people that do bad things to you, you actually learn great lessons from them them as well, just as much as from the good people. So it's very important to have the balance because it makes you stronger as a person. And I think growing up, it's made me well, everything that I've gone through has, you know, had a massive profound effect on my life and and on my positivity. And it's kind yeah, of on you if you let them you treat you like that. To wake up and have a good day and have a happy day, or you have an option to wake up and have a miserable day and absolutely be miserable for the day. So and there's nothing wrong with miserable days. Like, I have so many miserable days where I'm like, at the end of the day, that was a bad day. I really felt bad. But I, like, learned from that. Yeah. As opposed to, and allow it to happen. As opposed to driving myself to be it's happy all the time. It's to be happy all the time. And it's important to have, fleeting. like, your down days and to, to maybe see and figure out what is triggering you or what that's got you so down. And is the you had a down day the other day on socials where yes, you were like in tears. Yeah, what a lovely video. I yeah, was like, so two rights, Scully and Legend. The story goes to that because I also feel like it that. all leads on to dad getting sicker um, or from 
We haven't even got to that part yet. <laughs> oh, God damn it. So, you know, I know we're getting there. Feck it. So. Feck it, Scully. Yeah, so <coughs> March. Okay, break it just gently first there. first anniversary in 2006. Awful time for us. Awful, awful, awful time. But we were prepared for it. And, you know, the first anniversary was kind of like the funeral again. It was really, like, powerful. And uh, we, obviously, prayers of the faithful. And my auntie Imelda, who's Mark's yeah. godmother, she was reading out prayer of the faithful and was to pray for dad, who was sick in hospital. But we all said to her, we're like, I was like, dad is not going to miss Mark's first anniversary. Absolutely not. Like, it's this is too big of a momentous occasion. No. Like, dad always arrived to all our, like, dad arrived to my confirmation late, reunion late, but always made a grand. Yeah, but always made a grand entrance. Like it was always like you start, Lord, yeah. the priest would start, and next minute the doors would flash open, the priest would look <laughs> up, and the whole congress like everyone would turn around, and then next minute Maxi Scully'd come walking in. So I, we were expecting that. Oh, he was that kind of like full like, tacks in the shoes, and really always dad always made an entrance everywhere he went, and everyone when dad walked into the room, everyone looked. So we were there. An Irish jockey, like he is. Yeah, for Kildare and he was very much so always well dressed and it was always like I was thinking like I've never ever seen my dad in a tracksuit like absolutely not I'd say if he saw me every day in tracksuit he would go through me he'd be like no you know I don't even know if he had a pair of runners like dad was very much so slacks and shoes every day and that was like very shirts and jumpers and oh. like, I, don't I don't know if you know but my granddad was a jockey oh wow Hatchy, Tipperary, oh, road down the road from Aidan O'Brien. She's like road, Kerr Chase, road, 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 some big races and fell off horses and they were big horses. Yeah, the horse, it's, it's, I think, yeah, the horse, um, I think, so I can relate. Up is always, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, country, it's, it's pure country, it's yeah, real and, and respect it's and hunt and. And like what I said to oh, my aunt then, at Mark's mass, I said, we well, said to my aunt, I was like, look, as soon as you, like dad didn't, mass started, no sign of dad. So we'd given Imelda, Imelda had two variations of her prayer of the faithful. And one was pray for Maxie who's sick in hospital or pray for Maxie who's here with us now, but is actually has been quite sick in hospital. So anyways, mass went on and on. Then Imelda went up and I still kept looking around. I was like, he's going to come in. And he didn't. And then after that, then I was like, right, this is serious because dad wouldn't miss this opportunity. Um, and then the months went on and he came out of hospital yeah. for a little while during that summer. But like he wasn't great. Like I, I remember going with him and like I'd always have to kind of stand beside him and like his balance was kind of gone at this stage. And he just like we'd be there next when he could just fall over. So I always had to be there to catch him. And like I, I was petrified anytime we stepped out together. And he was like, wait, what? stop acting so scared. What, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, dad, like just in case you know he might fall. And you're like, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And I'm like, OK, you're, you're fine. But I was like, he's not absolutely and still drove him still proud I'm pretty sure still super proud him. anyways I was oh granddad my yeah. granddad used to like and you don't want to do that you kind of just dinged it wow okay that's a great answer. no he was like 94 yeah but he wasn't he was in a similar situation to your dad where he just well, lost the old age I think His yeah, and I was there well. That's the one thing when dad then eventually dad was in hospital in Dublin most of the time, so I rarely got to see him. And then he came back to Galway that summer, and then he went into the hospital in Galway, which was great because then I could I'd access to him all the time, and like his health was just was was gone. And um, like his dad was fifty two at the time, so it's, it's funny because mom's now older than that, and I'm like, oh my god, that's so young. And he just like 
just faded away in front of my eyes and every day it was just less mm. and less and less and like dad was a smoker and he always was and he we, we, he tried so many times to give them up but, but he just couldn't and it got to the stage where I was like look dad you're just you might as well just stay at it now but like I remember yeah I think at that stage yeah because they're too nice there's you know? no point taking off taking off so smoke, what yeah. I used to do like and I was 16 at the time is I'd wheel him out in his wheelchair to the front of the hospital and then I'd try like help him light a cigarette and so I didn't I, I personally didn't smoke myself so I wasn't lighting a cigarette for him I was only with him and then I'd kind of ho- I'd hold a cigarette for him and let him like smoke it but sure don't never know because I, I I hate smoking you never <laughs> smoke? like anti-smoking but I always because um, your because your career is just like... and I absolutely despised it and the smell of it and I hate it and I think it's rotten and I just never did it and I I, I don't and but dad I think because dad smoked so much and I but that day like I those it's a good debate it's a good debate oh yeah, yeah sorry it's not a debate those days don't I, yeah, smoke kids like hold don't a cigarette in his mouth and like I, he wasn't even out properly inhaled but sure, look if it gave him some comfort I was happy and then he also drank really strong tea with a, like a dribble and I mean a dribble of milk and three heaped spoons of sugar and they had to be heaped and like poor dad he just like so, like this it was the worst tea in the world with pure sugar so that, oh and like well I because I've been making this tea you have an incredible memory years old like dad had me trained on how to use a kettle from a very very young age which he shouldn't have but that's another story but I am um, yeah, I like you're trained, oh, you're yeah. trained. You were, you've been training since you were like five. So I was out, but like that in the hospital, then he couldn't drink because he was so sick. So what I used to do is I squint the kitchen and I'd make his sugary, horribly strong tea. And they had these like sponges. And what I used to do is I dip the sponge into his his sugary tea and I put the sponge into his mouth and I'm like, okay, bite down. So like he bite in the sponge and he get like his kind of get his tea hit. So like that's what I start to do every day because I was like, but he was so sick and he wasn't on. That's so like, kind. Again, this is something I, I've got to let go of now, but it was part of the story. But he wasn't on a drip. And I was like, should you not be on a drip? Because you can't eat your drink. But I was told very quickly to stop talking and stop asking questions. So I just drip, spoon, sponge fed him every day that I could because I knew the tea, at, the sugary tea at least, was giving him something. And it's something he drank about 10 cups of a day. And it look, it, it suited him. So I, every day, was trying to get as much of this tea into him as I could because... I was like, right, he needs something. Like the man is, I know he's dying, but he needs something to kind of at least, I don't know, help him in some way. Okay, give me a tiny bit of time to process because there's a lot. To- your story is affecting me a lot. I just, yeah, there's so much. Like, give me like a minute just of like nothing, just to process. <laughs> um, tag is very how's tag? and I cannot wait to get back on a tag field it's... I know are you like burning energy at the moment sitting in your room like fitness I, I just can't do, sit still at the moment I, just, I do I miss 10, rugby 15,000 so steps a day on my watch if not 20,000 and that's not by trying yeah <laughs> get to the top of that's your true. apartment um, is, but yeah, I'm, I is, am very active and I do have a lot of energy to burn and I if I don't burn enough energy during the day I can't sleep at night and if I can't sleep at night I am like a witch the next day because I love my sleep so I'm yeah <laughs> no not many people see it I've never I seen you I like actually, a witch. fair I'm not very I'm not in, I'm not a bad mood person at all I just if I'm in bad form I just go quiet <laughs> Oh, I hate to see. Imagine this podcast and you were just quiet mm-hmm. all the time, and people had to listen to me. Ugh. Um, 
so like how do you I, I get the restless sleep because I'm thinking about interviews and questions and podcasts and tires but so exercise yeah, is your get out of jail free and my mind and like I and you do like seven zooms a day multiple interviews like that can actually be nearly more tiring than a workout because you obviously have to have a higher energy for interviews than when you're just chit-chatting in real life and you I have to obviously do a bit of study on everyone before I go live so I kind of do my study then I go live and then you know you're it's you're professional and everything's so (laughs) (laughs) that's where we differ (laughs) I like this is my third today so we did Lawler we did Goggins and you and I feel like I'm in therapy listening to your lovely stories it's just helped me sort out so many of my own. And that's why I think the listeners yeah, will like it. Because I like it. <laughs> and your story is like who you are interests me so much more than the bad stories. But because of who you are. Yeah. like my, It's my because life of the stories, if you know I what I mean. The bad stuff has shaped me for the good stuff. When someone says, I'm worried about you, Rochi, you're pushing it too hard or you're mentally, you're, you're doing too much. And I'm like, don't yeah. be worried about me. But I would like worry about you in a positive way. Saying, yeah. saying like, Scully, are you taking on too much on yourself with very limited male support? Yeah, I know what you mean, actually. And I think my family certainly worry about me now because of lockdown and because I pretty much... Because you're emailing people at, like, 2 a.m. <laughs> and I suppose I spend a lot of time on... I spend a lot of time on my own. Like, I this lockdown, I pretty much spent 80% of it completely on my own. I'm here um, with you. Stop. And that's, and that's why the Zooms are actually great, too, because I, when I finish the Zoom, I always have a chat with this person after I stop recording. Like, I end up chatting to everyone afterwards and... It's great like that. So why my family kind of think that I'm here on my own, I'm completely lonely. Like, as like that, as you said, like I'm chatting to you, I chat to people on Zoom. and like, Do you, when, do, do you want a boyfriend? Do you want... Uh, Be honest. Y- yes and no. So I love being single, I have to say. I get I'm, Like, I'm, you're a strong, independent woman. I get it. You're smashing it professionally. Do you think, personally, you want some support? Not from me, but from anyone. From the, well, one, the, the one you past, choose. I suppose that's my, with my previous relationships, that's been the issue. They haven't been able to support me in my career. Ah, they just don't understand your work life, man. It's all encompassing. All you want is someone to stroke your head at night and say, good job. Oh, not too close, though, because I, I, don't, I don't like too much, like, too much, someone too close to me. I like my own space when I'm in bed. <laughs> oh, you'd be a tough girlfriend. You would. But... I think I... My ex, one of my exes told me, he's like, you are so um, hard to read. And I was like, I'm so, like, our first date, he was like, I couldn't read you at all. He's like, oh, he's like, does this girl even, like, is she even into me? And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, I thought I was giving you all the signs. I was like, I was waiting you, I was waiting you to make a move and give me a kiss. And he was like, what? He was like, absolutely not. He was like, you did not give off that at all. And I was like, oh, my God, I was giving that off the whole time. He was like, no, you are not. He was like, that's the last. He goes, I genuinely thought you didn't like me. And I was like, 
what? I was like, I thought I was being, I thought I was absolutely dropping all the hints, but he, apparently I wasn't. Um, but you know, I think it's, they it's come from different walks. Of, I read you in two minutes, man. Um, <laughs> but I only because I understand your work life and how important it is to you. All you want, and I don't know. Sometimes I want is someone to say you did a really good job. Talk to me about it. Do you want to just get it off your chest? If you're, because if you're thinking about stuff at night. You just want to get it out. And Zoom helps me with that. And I talk to people in work and stuff. But you just want someone to validate your good day's work. You're grand by yourself. But do you want someone to say good job to you? I think what I found with this lockdown was, as I said, I have had, I've been single now since my last relationship was uh, over just over two years ago and now when I say single during pre-lockdown I, I was single but I was I kind of I've always had someone I've been like texting or kind of seeing boy the kids you know, but like I've always loved being single and I've had to say like I would want a night out and I love the idea of being able to chat to any guys that I want obviously that are single and have the crack and swap numbers and that kind of kept, that kind of gave me a real like I love that I thought that was I was like I was like why are all my friends in relationships like this is great crack not like playing in the field, but having options. And, it's different, you know, though. It's different. Yeah, yeah. You could see someone for a few weeks, and then you could like that. You no, know, it might go anywhere, and then you could start seeing someone else, and then you know, just fun, like fun. And I met some really great guys in that time. But like every guy I've met, we both not wanted a relationship, so it's been great in that sense because I kept, I've kept like meeting people, and from the word go, it's like, look, I don't want a relationship. I don't want a relationship either. Great, and it's worked out really well. Now though, now that we're getting a year to lockdown. The, like I have like it kind of the stage now where you it's like I've had I've had I've had pen pals and I've had lads that I've been chatting to during the lockdowns and it's been like right we're chatting over and back but like we're not going to meet because it's lockdown and like this is just a waste of both our time and it's kind of it's hard to kind of keep up like a, a pen pal relationship when you haven't met the person a pen like, pal I relationship I love it old school um, yeah do you. See, that was the sound. Do you hear it? Weird. <laughs> so weird. Um, so you're kind of in the mood for love. You heard I... it here, folks. Scully, <laughs> a bachelorette of Limerick. Like, get your applications in. She's only accepting high cap. Who, who are you looking for? Oh, gosh. Wow. It was, see, whoever I... See, that's probably a lot of... I said, support is definitely a big thing for me. I need someone who could chill the hell out yeah support my work and also kind of help me with work because sometimes you need someone that can help you with things like sometimes i might need to take a video and it's like someone to help with camera or like someone to kind of would be like look why don't we try this out and like i know that's why i might sound a bit mad but like with social media sometimes you just need like i have to you're talking to an actor here i have to send self-tapes to like oh i have to call in my friend tara and hazel to just come over to hold the camera it's so weird here so yeah you, you get it in that sense and then, but then you also like that you want someone that you can just switch off with, like from the whole work as well and like I found with like previous relationships they, they didn't like my work they didn't like that like, like guys randomly replied to my stories and I'm like yeah but sure there are people that follow me they're listening to me on the radio or they watch me on, on TV so they're that's what they're it's pure harmless and they're like yeah well I don't like it and it's like but that's it just comes with the line of work because you know I'm putting myself out there so this is going to happen and that's well, tough man because you're you're asking for someone to turn you on and then turn you off. So that's yeah. that's a big task for... I reckon you'd go for just an average Joe who just lets you do what you want but is always there for you to bounce a question off. 
yeah, and I think as well, I need someone, like, I get, like, my friends here, my friends are great, but, like, obviously with lockdown, when you're not seeing them, it's hard, but I can get very in my own head sometimes, and obviously with, I like, I do it, get quite down, like, and that video, that crying video from last August was Dad's anniversary, and I was absolutely floored, and that week I was so down, and I was like, I need someone that can be with me when I'm down, but also pull me out of it as well, but I can, no, I can pull myself out of it, but to have someone as well that can empathise with me, not sympathise, yeah. empathise, but also know how to, like, my problem is when I get down and when I get bad bouts of anxiety, if I get just upset, I retract myself and I get very quiet and I don't communicate and I struggle to communicate when I'm down. So, in that sense, I need someone that can, like, the girl, like, one of my best friends. Easy out. Easy out. Yeah, she, She's like, okay, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing. She goes, you are, you are so quiet. Like, she's like, tell me, why are you so, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, um, and then I say, it. she's like, okay, let's talk about it. And then we talk about it. And then suddenly it's not a big deal. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, that's actually not a big deal. Why am I making this such a big deal? When it's so when out I, of your head and into the atmosphere through your verbal use, it's just so much better. Even if you're just talking to yourself, it's better to talk yeah. to someone though. And someone who actually wants to listen as opposed to someone who, ugh, wants to talk about themselves. You need like a, you need a six. If you, if you rate yourself a ten, you need like a really supportive six. I know, I know a few lads. There's a few lads in the Shannon Turds rugby team that would fucking love you, man. Johnny Bedford. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll shout them all out because they'll be banging down your door. Um, Anyone. But... He has to be very lucky. Do you think you're unapproachable? Well, Romantically? Apparently I am. But I don't think I am. But see, my problem is, I, again, it goes back to the intimidating thing. Like, if I'm on a night out, um, which is say I'm in-house, and I spot a guy across the bar that I think is hot, or I think, like, I'm like, Jesus, I want to talk to him, I will go straight over there and I'm like, hey, how are you? I'm Megan, who are you? And, like, I actually, I'm, see, I know the whole tradition. Yeah, but you're going for nines then. He's not going <laughs> to satisfy you. He's too wrapped up in Connacht rugby. Or why are you shooting for nines when you clearly need a six? You need a Shannon Thirds player. Or Gary Owen Thirds. I know they're a bit up themselves, but whatever. Your gas is like, this has turned into, like, a, a, a dating. Oh, I'm coming, back to the, I'm coming back to the dad story, I promise. I just need to give myself some time. No, do you know what? You need someone like me. And every single listener is going like, yeah, he gets her. But I am emotionally unavailable. So I can set you up with whoever. Like my granny and my sister have my heart. And I just like helping people. But you do need someone who understands you. And a podcast like this is good. So, Tiger Paws, P.O. Box 364. No, 42. (laughs) 42 is my favourite number. And... I don't know, people like Laura O'Donovan will be like, yeah, of course, Scully, why don't you just go for, I don't know, um, whoever on the Shannon Thurs team. And, but you got to give them a chance. Not everyone is so insightful as me to read you in two seconds. I just know a lot of people like you. And can I also ask that I'm also, while I might the emotional stuff, I'm also the girl that would be on a night out and I'll be dancing on that table. So either join me on the table or else just sitting quiet and don't be like giving out that I'm dancing on the table that's like I I'm, li- I'm wild streak in me as well and I'm always up to the crack and having a laugh Black and Swan 
Yeah, Did you just invite me onto a table of a nightclub? Love it. <laughs> I love handsome tables. Me too. But you were raised in chalets, like Val d'Isere. <laughs> That's après ski. Um, okay, okay, now that we've set you up. I think Limerick Leader have some sort of like Tinder esque. Go on that. Um of you probably the post won't like that. Huh? The like that. But you'd be like oh. Limerick Forever. Um so we've tindered you. We've tried to understand your psyche. You're you're explaining your baggage in books, like you've two books. But you're still easy to read. Give us like, who are, like, okay, go, 18. 18, what happens to your dad? Yes, then, obviously, they mentioned there a while ago that the hospital deteriorating, and he did, and on the 12th of August, um, during the RDS Horse Show, his favourite competition that we went to every year together, and during the Aggie Can and the Police Ops, his two favourite showdown competitions in the RDS, also were a place where he was commentator every year, and he, he passed away, and I was actually really happy that he passed away when he did, because... He did it on his, in a way. He did it on his terms but during the RDS, during his favorite like competition. So I was like, Dad, you got the last laugh. <laughs> and, you know, he got his apparently he got a, he got his minute silence in the RDS arena the next day. So he would have loved that. So that was like when I heard that, I was like, That's it. Like he's he's done his job here. That's what he wants to do. And it was like I was so happy because I was like that that was Dad. Um. So look, he left, and I I just I remember thinking I can't believe this happening again. Even though I knew he was dying, it was just really tough and. And like you I, knew what you were expecting, at least. Oh, second time round. Marcus was bang, ouch. But you knew coming up to your dad's that it was coming. And was it a relief or was it Was it um, still super sad? This would probably sound, sound a bit mad to say. Like, I remember when dad died, I actually said, are you kidding me? Have I, have I actually just lost Marcus and dad in the space of a year and a half, in 2005 and 2006? Is this actually happening? That's so rough. That's so it, rough. It was just, it was so off. I think, do you know what, like, I think a lot of people came to the house for da- after dad died to my, my home house to, to pay respects to mum and I. And um, obviously dad didn't live there, but they came to our house and they all were like, I think like everyone was in shock. Everyone was like, could not believe that this happened again to us. And like, I think everyone was like, Jesus Christ, you have no luck. <laughs> one about what I've learned over the years and what I found out in my 20s was that my dad's death affected me so much more than my brother's death. I firmly and truly and honestly believe, and I understand Marcus's time was up when he was 18 years and 18 days, and that was his time. Mm. And I know straight that Marcus went straight to heaven, or whatever you believe in, Marcus went there. Yeah, and his time, and like I always was at peace with Marcus's death, which sounds kind of mad to think because he was so young and he had his whole life ahead when we had loads of plans. But I get it, I get it. But my dad's death, like, I genuinely think my dad's death haunted me for years because it just, he just, even though he was dying and sick, he had a lot of time where he could have probably said a lot of things and he, I, I was angry at dad because he never told me he was dying. Like, I always believed he was just another one of his sicknesses and he's going to pull out. And even though I knew he was dying, I think, I was like, you're going to pull out of this, like, pull out everything else and you'll be fine. And he didn't. And then when he didn't, I was really angry at him because it's like, you left me and then I was also angry at him because I wasn't enough and I for a long time it took me a long time to come to terms with his death and to not feel like that but I did feel that he left me and I felt like I should have been enough to keep him alive and I think that hurt me a lot because I was like was I not good enough like Marcus I want to read your book so bad can you 
It's gonna have to go, it's sold out, so it has to go back to reprint. Yeah, but I can just call over to your house and get the f- original writing. It doesn't matter. And he, like, I just think for a long time, I just, and I always felt like Dad didn't go straight to heaven, as like, mad that sounds. I just felt, Dad had a lot of unfinished business that he never got to finish, and I just always felt his spirit around for a long time, and I just felt like he couldn't go. And I just felt like it took me a long time to, also took me a long time to let him go too which is also adding to it, but he was around for a long, for a good few years. Um, Still watching over you or something. Yeah, I just think he just, I just don't think he was ready to go when he did, even though he was so sick, I just don't think he wanted to die when he died, and I, Mm. obviously now I have to, I have accepted that now, but back then, I couldn't, and it really, honestly, like, I went through those mad moments where I thought Dad wasn't dead at all, and that he was alive and moving somewhere else, like, I actually thought that at some stage I always knew Marcus was dead I knew he was gone I've always felt Marcus with me when I meet him and when I ask him questions and for help I know he helps me but with dad I just had this uneasiness where I was like he's still alive he's somewhere else he's actually not dead at all we cremated dad like I was at the crematorium I was there I scattered his ashes like I saw it but I still couldn't come to terms with his death and it took me an awful long time a lot of counselling a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of listening um, to eventually come to terms with his death. But as I found out when I went to counselling, it was his death that actually affected me more than Marcus. Well, it sounds like it really did. But, like, Marcus, you still had a male protector there looking after you for his yes. death. Where And then you didn't probably deal with your grief because you were still looking after your mum and dad and then feck it another one goes and who are you left with your lovely mum who's looking to you for support again you're still protecting people but the brain can't handle that man and it's and I, think, the, I think I was very lucky because about six months after Marcus died mm. um, Andrew, Andrew came into our lives and he who's said, Andrew? Andrew is my mum's uh, partner and my stepdad Oh, enter Andrew. What does he do? He's the angel that we needed. Stop. Where's he from? Wait, what, what, where are we talking about now? So this is actually, so after Marcus died, mum went to Lourdes because she married. He's from Lourdes. No, he's from Galway. (laughs) Yeah, but he came through Lourdes. I mean, like, come on. Mum went to Lourdes because she, mum threw herself into the church and into prayers and to God and really that, that actually did save her. Unbelievable like, twist. Unbelievable twist to Scully's story. Yeah, so she went to Lourdes and she went with all her, the, like the women took basically, a load of women from around brought her to Lourdes and she was in such a bad way. They brought her there and like she always said, like she gets healing from Medjugorje and Lourdes and she loves not, like not shrine is her favourite place and mum like. Except for Lourdes. Yeah, yeah, but all those places saved her and praying and, and God saved Mam. Oh, um, wonderful. It took me a long time to come back to, to praying. It took me a long time to come back to God, but I do now pray every day. But back then I didn't, and I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. But Mam had a Lourdes reunion in Galway City. Word, big up to the Lord's massive. Yeah, all the Galway gang got Up on the tables in Galway City. Oh, I'll tell ya. And anyways, she didn't tell me to afterwards, but she had a blind date that came to the Lord's reunion to meet her. Stop. Stop. You minx, Mrs. Scully. And so she comes back with holy water and an angel from Lord's and blesses your house in Ardran. Well, her house. And what's 
What, what's Saint Andrew doing? Oh, he's amazing. He is the <laughs> easy going. He's so relaxed. He is absolutely. I always would have said, like, my dad was not by any means traditional father. He was great crack. He was social. He was mad. He was fun. He was like the life and soul of the party. He was a ten. Yeah. Yeah, and I used to look at my friends and I used to think that their dads were really boring because their dads hung out with them, took them to matches, cooked their dinners, like lived with their, like, you know, work. Sixes. Like, they did all, yeah. did all the like, daddy things with them. And I used to think, oh my God, your dads are like so boring. Like in Sundays, their dads would bring them to like the park or bring them to cinema. Whereas like, I'd be like, it, it was very opposite with dad. But dad I'm just friends. going to the Irish trials with daddy. Yeah, or, yeah, dad, dad or in the RDS, like staying in the horse truck in the lorry park with everyone else for the whole week. Like it was just mad stuff. Oh, uh, great crap. So then Andrew came around, and Andrew was like this very quiet, easy going, down to earth, salty earth, pure dad figure, like absolutely. Like, so I'm very blessed in my life because I've had, I have two dads. I've had my dad. Three dads, Mary. Yeah, yeah, and I've had dad, like, yeah, it's actually, yeah, three dads. Like, dad showed me the crazy, wild, fun, mad, like, like you only live once life kind of style. Yeah. Andrew, in that solid, at home, goes to work every day, comes home every day, mows the lawn, like, looks after the dog and the cat, builds things, fixes things, like, just pure father figure, and he's been, like, he... Solid six, uh, like a solid six. Why aren't you getting this yet? <laughs> he saved ma'am, and then he saved me as well, so he is, like, I, like, I don't know if I ever, like, if I want to get married, but if I ever do, like, he's walking me down the aisle. Like, saints come in, in very... I'm a firm believer of the universe will provide what you need. And you, yep. you your mum obviously went to Lourdes, so she sped up the process, which is kind of rude. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> she could have gone to knock, but she was like, then she brought the posse back to dance on the Galway tables. And a saint just went, yeah, I'm going to hop on that. How long do you think Andrew was looking for a bird before hopping back to Galway? He lives in Galway too. He's um. How long was he looking for a girlfriend before he met your mum? He was single a good few years. His marriage had broke up as well, and he was. God, I must actually find out. Probably, you know what? They probably both their marriages broke up around the same time. Um. So, yeah. Like, and I even said to him, like, he, uh, when he met us, like, when he came to like met mum, like, she was devastated. Like, she was crying still every single day. She cried every day for five years. And I was, I've actually, him and I, we, we get on great. We are like, we, t- we tell each other, we love each other all the time. We see each other, like we're, we're that close. And like, I said to him one day, we were, like, we travel together, like he has a farm. So him and I go off to the farm together. And like, we do a lot of one-on-one stuff together. So we get on really well. Yeah. And I was like, how, why did you stay? Like, why and how did you stay? I was like, that was an awful house you came into. I said, mom was. No, really it was such a beautiful house to come into. Don't think that. But I was, I was really like. He's from Galway, I, so he likes to protect Everyone loves ye in Galway. Like, that's not a bad house. It's a lovely house. And it was, it was such a tough time because, like, we were all very, like, like it's just a really sad kind of time. And Great like, houses yeah. go through terrible times. That's true. But still like, doesn't make them bad houses, though. Your house is lovely still. It just was going through a down day. Yeah, it was. And it was like, it was, but like, he came in at probably the darkest time, but he stayed. He was like, of course, he was, he was, as soon as I met your mother, he actually proposed to her two weeks after they met that's ah he found his one he found his 10 why wouldn't he propose he said straight away he's like i knew straight away and i was like what because i knew as soon as i met her i knew 
In Lourdes. He met a bird in Lourdes that he fancied. Why wouldn't he propose to her? Do you know where he brought him on their first holiday? Can I guess? Go on. Uh, my mind immediately goes to her Sanasus in Greece for like a cheeky weekend. But I think it's religious based. I'm going to say not Midge. You don't want to it Was it? Is it Midge? Good call, yeah. Bro. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. perceptive tonight. Magicor, a trip to the Midge. Oh. Yeah, but the first they'd go in separate rooms, so he'd stay with the, in the with guys and she'd stay with her. Obviously. Come on, and they slipped out for a bit of romance. Oh, yeah, there you go. What's your mum's name again? Polly. Polly New Minx. Trip to Midge. <laughs> the Caribbean of religious destinations. Oh, great <laughs> shout. Okay, so we're, we're 18. In, in comes St. Andrew. Where are we going next, Scully? Yeah, then I'd go and do a leave insert. <laughs> we're at your leave insert at 1 hour 24 minutes. Yeah, leave insert, uh, boyfriend. Uh, I got myself a boyfriend in leave insert. And Shout out. What, what was his name? I won't say any names. Come on, everyone wants to hear. You might as well. No, I can't say any names because he's a, a sports player. So. Oh, can I guess again? I'll, te- I'll text you privately. After. No, I want to guess. You can. I'm not saying anything. I can't. I'm of course you can. Anybody. You're not saying anything. I'm guessing. Go on, so. <sighs> I'm going to say rugby. but No, Galway's... Galway's hurl. Mm. Galbally, Marcus' school. Like a good rugby lad. Plays with Connacht now, maybe. I'm going to say... Who's the out half for Connacht at the moment? Like, place for art. Oh, am I close? Is he big or small? He's big. Oh, you're going wrong. You're going wrong sport, anyways. Yeah, Joe Canning style. No, I'm I always thought I know college Joe from college, but no. No, but like, I'm trying. I'm trying to read your reaction. It's not rugby. It's hurling. Or horse. No, it's hurling. I don't know. I don't follow Galway hurling. All I know is Joe. Rude. Okay, tell me. So yeah, no, I know that, that was it. We just. Then I went on to UL. I got on Royal Dogs, the man over in UL, which is Irish and New Media, which is... Well, I went to work on work experience in TG Carra when I was 16. And Come I, off the list. And then, oh, right, this is what I want to do. I want to do Gwaelia and I want to do media. Yeah. And do you know Mike Mac? Who? Michael McNamara. One of my boys. He did Gwaelia. He... What age are you? 31. Yeah, he's 34. Mary I, Gwaelia and media. Mike Mac. Lovely boy. Unbelievable. Keep going, sorry. I went to UL then. I spent four incredible years studying in UL with a stint in Malta for Erasmus. And I just loved my four years there were probably were really great because I grief and anything that linked to Marcus and Dad didn't affect me during those four years. So I was, now I, I can say this, I was life and soul of every party every night of the week. I went out every Sunday, Tuesday and Thursday without fail and the odd Wednesday as well. I was... A party animal. And are you still um, dealing with grief in that point? I had a break from it. Yeah, but it's even, still under there, like. Yeah, it hadn't even hit me then. It was during my master's in Galway at NUIG. I was studying journalism and I was like, this is great now. This is going to set me up for my career in media because I wasn't, first of all, I wasn't ready to not be a student anymore after four years. And I also was like, I'll get a master's and then that will help me even better get a job. And during that year I went through a breakup and I was going the grief was starting to catch up with me I knew it was I could feel it coming so 
as I mentioned earlier, when I am sad or down, I go quiet and I go into myself and I don't share what I'm feeling. And that's what I did. And I pushed everyone away that was around me. And pretty much at the time, anyone that was in my life went because I like I wouldn't blame them. I pushed them away. So that meant the boyfriend, the friends. See you later. Yeah. And everyone was like, and then suddenly I was like, why is everyone gone? (laughs) When you pull yourself out. Which you've no. done since you were fucking five. Sorry, Gran. No. I cursed. No, I was like, everyone left me. I was like, oh my God, they're all so horrible. But I was like, oh my God, no. It took me, and again, it took a few more years for me to realise I pushed them away, so they naturally, they left. And look, luckily, I'm so blessed because I've pretty much met up friends with all of them again, and everyone's, you know, we're all connected now again, and it's great, and it's, you know, it's like, I, I, I've apologised to all of them because I was completely, like, I was very, I was in a very, very bad way, and I was living with girls and they did not know how to deal with someone who was mentally as bad as I was so it wasn't fair on them but they also apologised to me because they're like we genuinely had the clue what to do with you because we didn't know because we've never had to deal with someone who was this low before and I was like look now we're all kind of like laugh about not a laugh about it but we kind of now can like appreciate and understand that we had a clue because we're all very young as well so you know none of us knew how to deal with what was going on with me but you know they are also the girls that walked me into counselling in college and good girls well done because who knows how to deal with that I mean if you don't know a girl in a masters course who's living with you you can't apologise to them for how you feel like no apologies necessary unless you treated them meanly but by you not being present in your life how are you supposed to be present in theirs yeah exactly you're somewhere else and it was really kind of, I suppose it was, it was a turning point for all of us because I suppose I had to learn and they had to, they kind of learned a lot from me too. They so probably it, did because they're thrown into this fire pit of like death and crazy girl who likes partying and then she has to leave her friends and then she's in this random place. Oh. Yeah, and then, I, then I was newly single for the first time in five years. So the last time I was single, God help, God help like, those boys. Jesus. So all I knew was being single in secondary school and suddenly I was single in a master's kind of post-college age and it was not the same as when you're young. So I definitely struggled with that as well. Top of, So I was trying to juggle grief. I was trying to juggle loss. I was trying to juggle college. I was trying to juggle this new single life and I hadn't a clue. So you put it in a book for everyone to read just to get it out of your own head. Oh my God. Good well, book. One, I'd read that book. That's what they haven't said. Like from... For Marcus, like from when I was a little girl, I always, always wrote a diary, like always. And now that diary is very much will become my first book because I kept those diaries for all those years. And as the times got darker and things got worse, I started writing. And the worse my head was, the more I wrote. And then I was able in 2018 to bring out a book that was completely raw and honest because it was from the darkest days. And that is what Broken Love is. It's my own, pretty much my diaries from when Marcus died um, up until I pretty much got acceptance and managed to turn my life around nothing changed no, nothing like no, nothing changed but my mindset I suppose changed and suddenly I started to control the controllables whereas for a long time I kept trying to control the things that I couldn't control and that's why life was very dark and messed up but when I was able to let go of that stuff and start controlling what I could control then I was able to turn my life around but also that was with the help of a lot of professionals so I mean you know, that's that's so beautiful to hear I'm going to make another cup of tea because I need to digest what you have you wine in front of you I have a kid 
Jesus. Um, and if you're OGR, I do. I think we're just like a. We do that. Super creepy. Yeah, so he sent me a handwritten letter as well. Creepy. Still lovely in theory, but creepy as well. Obviously, thank I, you for the Udi, but a follower, he's following you and he... That's where my mind goes. Like He said he saw it. He said he's like, he knew that I loved comforting stuff. He sent me a little blanket as well that he got from like a market somewhere. It was a bathed in his tears. Consider dating Donal? I actually have a rule I don't date anyone off my Instagram or my social media. Well, stop taking their oodies then. <laughs> but it's so comfy. It doesn't matter. That is mixed signals, Scully. Like, that's. Oh, look, I'm just wearing your oodie. But no, no, can't. That's, that's tough for guys to take. <laughs> what if a girl said to me you wouldn't be saying that? I would, because I would question her intention. Can we talk about socials for a second? I know we're we're in the midst of a story, but feck it. I just need just a tiny pause. Leave the lads get their own teas or wines and keep enjoying your beautiful stories. Um, socials. How do you find them? Well, it's kind of become part of my career now. So, um, and I like I'm very, geez, I'm very lucky, and like I don't take it for granted. But I I've, I've started to make a bit of money off my Instagram. So, you know. It's obviously because I'm building my following and brands want to work with me, which is great. And I'm I'm working with brands that I actually love and, and trust. So that's been really amazing. Um, but it, yeah, it's funny. So I am very open and honest and I share all my grief and my loss. Fucking are. That's a fact. The only thing I don't, and I share my mother 
don't share many of my friends because a lot of my friends don't actually like social media and don't want to be on it. So I've gone on group, group holidays. I'll take your mother. I'll take your mother off your hands if you want. Your mother. <laughs> but I've gone on group holidays and you'd swear that I'm on my. I'm only with one girl because I might only have one friend in the group that doesn't mind being on social media, and the rest are like, no, I don't want. I don't want to be on your Instagram. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I'll just tag the one friend for the. Because month. you're the you're the product. They don't want to be. They might mess up your product. They just want to have a holiday. But they said as well they don't like when people they don't know follows them because that's what happens. Now they're all private accounts, but they said they they're like if, they say when I tag them they get people following them that they don't know and they don't want that, which is like look all they do is they don't accept it. But um, I like Donald's approach. I like Donald's approach. <laughs> He's given you an hoodie with no, just to make you happy. But what I don't like is the brand approach. They now own you and use you and your lovely smiley face, honest heart. And they abuse it for money. Well, not abuse it, just use it. Yeah, but that's why I say I don't work with too many because I, I'm not going to be that person that just gets hands. Like, I turn down paid stuff because I'm like, that's not for me. Like, I've been offered Botox and lip fillers and that sort of stuff. You don't need it. You're class. But I was last couple of years, I'm like, absolutely not. I've told, I've told they've actually been like, Oh, well, could you not, do you want to just give away a voucher? And I said, no. I said, this is not the message I want to give out. I said, this is not what I want to portray. I do not, I'm not the kind of person who is going to promote this. I said, you're actually better off finding someone else. I said, I personally don't want to get it and I do not want, I said, I have a lot of young followers on my Instagram and I am not promoting, like, stuff that changes your face. I was like, I want, I would love if everyone could get comfortable in their own skin and be happy with who you are and what you look like and not be just turning to getting work done to, to change and I think you have to be like happy on the inside to be happy on the outside like you're, in my early 20s if I was offered it I probably would have said yes because I was vulnerable I was low I was sad I felt like awful on the inside so I knew that I didn't look as good on the outside because I just looked so miserable so I, I remember thinking then maybe I'll get a boob job maybe I'll do this and then mum was like no need not. absolutely yeah. no need and now I'm like so comfortable in my own skin I'm like no this is why I look if I get wrinkles that's part of that's from all the laughing and all the smiling and it's part of aging and I'm Go to hopefully age gracefully and happily, and I I don't have a fear of growing old, and I, do, I I don't I think there's this problem with social media where people are having this fear of growing old and are almost like ashamed to grow old and are almost afraid, and it's going to create some serious um, body dysmorphia in older generations because now they're going to fear aging, which I think is absolutely natural process and. I don't fear aging, I don't fear growing up and my mother decides to let her hair grow grey and it looks absolutely fantastic on her and I'm so proud of her and it suits her so well and you know, I just think, I hope that I have that same ageing confidence that my mother has when I'm growing up as well. I meant to tell you at the start of the podcast uh, we're actually sponsored by a Botox <laughs> product and my lips. You, you've absolutely rinsed them like, <laughs> they're, they're going to pull out the sponsorship Good. No, too right. You go, girl. Um, socials. Do you? That's such. Yeah, your mother's hot. I get it. Great <laughs> silver fox in for Saint Andrew. Um, what? What? Oh man, you make me laugh. Um, it's such a good attitude, and that's why I think young girls are super inspired by you. That's why I asked you on my podcast. Um, what is your opinion on the young wanting to be influencers? 
It's a really tough industry to get into. Now, I, I said my growth on my Instagram has happened very slowly, very naturally, very organically, and I've grown with it mentally. And I think, because I found more followers I get, obviously the more, like, unpleasant messages you're going to get. But because now I'm older and I'm stronger, and because I've been through everything and I've come out the other side, I now can handle it and I can walk away My fear is that young girls are very personal and very sort of aggressive yeah pro- like they are the product therefore people down products and if you're letting people into your life kids do not I don't know the Udi and Iran I keep on coming back to them like oh, if you can get me an Udi you can get me a bad Udi there Brian Roach Arden Russia County Clare boom yeah but I don't <laughs> live there anymore yeah but you- I'm not in the city. I'm in a house in London. <laughs> I'm joking. Shut up, will you? <laughs> you are too honest sometimes. Um, and I, honesty is the best policy. I think that's the thing with my Instagram as well and my social media. I'm very honest and I'm very... But yeah, not yeah. honest. Honesty for kids isn't the best policy. Post your work. Do not post your home. Don't post your stories. I really mean that. I, I'm vehemently against kids being on socials. Oh yeah, too too young. I think there is a there is a line there. Like yeah, there has to be a bit of parental control on that because. And that's irresponsible from the the creators. Yeah. Thirteen year olds have no business posting their stories or their hair tutorials or oh, a million followers. They're getting bank. Why wouldn't they want to be an influencer? But they don't realise the work and the effort you've put in. It's not about the following for you. It's about your work. And because you've gone through such a thing, your story is super inspiring, but you're not just your Instagram. Absolutely. And, And they want to be. They want to just get out of school and go on Instagram. They don't realize... The world, it's life. Greg trains so hard. Olympian. Law school exams. That's his content. Love Island is just a catalyst. And it's really important, kids, if you're listening to this, that I think I can speak for you too, Meg, that you don't just go on Instagram all the time. Because people are fake. That's fake. No, No one just goes on holidays all the time and looks class. They are in their rooms crying sometimes. 
like you and me and Meg. And go, go, you, you explain it there, Meg. Sorry. No, as well, like I suppose a lot of it is very filtered. And you're getting to see the fil- you're getting to see the good stuff and the filtered stuff. And I know all the holidays that they go on, and like they're all free as well. So they're, you know, it's not an expense on them. And, but like a lot of them, I'd say if you probably actually sat down and had one-on-one chat with a lot of people who are in that public eye and have to always be like looking their best they are probably very miserable because it's, it's hard to look good all the time like it's hard to be having your hair and makeup it's hard to be always exercising always making shape making sure you're wearing the right clothes and like that's effort as well that's they're putting themselves out there and they're obviously they're getting the hate too but I have to say when you mentioned Greg there I think Greg is great on social media and he's a really good role model for young people like he has a massive following but he deservedly so yeah, and I, lo- and I love what he portrays, and I think he's a very positive guy, puts out a great message, works very hard, is studying the law, got his exams the other day. Like He does play hard. with Shannon as well. Like, and, Sh- sorry, and Shannon, absolutely, yes. That's a big deal, like, that's a big deal. He doesn't play with Carry On. I don't know. <laughs> he's a Shannon through and through. There is an aisle on the rats, too right. But who's your favourite rugby team? Who do you support? Remember that question you said not to ask at the start? Okay, so my favorite, like all, like my favorite team in rugby that I just admire and I've watched a few times and I just think are fab and amazing are the All Blacks. But I'm talking 2015, Dan Carter. You can't go All Blacks at Limerick. <laughs> we beat them out the door in '78. Oh, stop! I have to say, I so my real love of rugby didn't come. My brother obviously played it, but um. And he controlled the remote, so we always watched rugby and soccer and every sport under the sun because I wasn't allowed to watch anything that I wanted because it was his, his remote when he was at home. Um, but, and like, mum never watched TV. So when he passed away, it was actually um, the uh, Munster versus Beeritz in 2006. I sat my own, it's the first time I sat my own and watched a game from start to finish, and I absolutely, that was it. That was the moment for me where I was like... Peter Stringer I, doing the dirty on Betson. Nice. Oh, I was like, oh my god! And see, it was the first time that I didn't like watch rugby through Marcus. I was watching it on my own, and that was my moment when I went, oh my god! I understand this now. Amazing. And then I went to UL in 2007, and you'd be sitting down, have your hot chicken roll outside the bar, and Jerry Flannery, and all the lads would be there sitting beside you across from you, and it was like, mm, 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 mm. and just sat with all the students, like they sat among all of us, like pure normal, and I was like, these lads. Our class, and I was like, I used to be like, they're so cool, but they were so sound and normal and down to earth and chatted away students. And just, I think being like that close to these incredible rugby players was really like, there's something so lovely about it. And I was like, this is amazing. So I supported Monster for years, and then um, you're from a convent too, so that's like, oh, you must have been <laughs> in heaven, but you were dating some Connacht hurler, that's tough on them. I'd well, say, then the Connacht thing, I one at Connacht season pass when I was in Galway during that Masters year. Just pick Connacht or Munster. Oh, do you know what? Actually, when I was watching this year, when I was watching, I have to say I'd have to stick with Connacht because. Oh, what? Because you dated one of them. I didn't date one of them. No, you said that, not me. I. Yeah, I did. No, I pondered. Look, I, pondered. I was in the same school as Earlsey. Connor Murray, Jerry Flannery, you're right. Like, Munchen's boys are bred to be respectful. Just, I think you should, well, I can't change your allegiance, but, like, you're from Dundrum. You, like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, oh, 
Quike, is there any any way we can change your mind? Um, oh yeah, I'm easily sweet. Okay, go for Munster instead of okay, Connacht. I'll ask again. Uh, Meg, uh, who is your team in rugby that you support? Oh, absolutely, Munster. Like, you serious? <laughs> you are fun, man. Um, I, I think with Munster rugby, because a couple of boys might come on the podcast. I think we can all slag each other. There's no holes barred. Like, oh, but only because we were there when stuff happened growing up. Yeah. But if anyone slags Keith Earls to my face in San Diego, I will fight them. Verbally, hopefully. But I'll defend him. Because I was I, I, I tackled him on a rugby pitch, Nessens v Munchens, under 14s. And he bade an orange off. Like... I just know him and he's a great chap and Murray is same. Like that 2007 Munchens team was unreal. Earlsy is just, I think everyone is protective of Earlsy. And that's why I think nobody gives out about him because everyone is so protective of him. But he's like, li- I don't know. Like, he, he started a fight with me on a pitch under 16s, Tolman versus Shannon. Tolman Park main pitch and the only way I could get into his head was apologise, apologise, apologise. And in the line-out, he was like, sorry, it's okay, Roger. I didn't mean it. It's just a needed moment. But he beat us by himself that day. Scrum, scrum, dead ball line, whipped it to his wing forward, beat me and Howie, beat someone else. Kinsey was number 10, whipped it to the winger. The winger went under the post, under 18s. Yeah, and that's douchey. Like I'm, I'm quite lucky in my line of work. I've gotten to actually interview quite a lot of monster lads over the years, um, and it was it was it was always like cool for me because it was like I loved the sport and it was really great to be in the high performance center and in where they train and seeing them in the gym. It was always interesting as well because I was, for a long time I was the only female, and the lads were like, like say they saw me see me coming in with the pink coat now and be like, "Where's your one going?" But I always had my questions prepared and I always had my homework done and. I actually saw as a good crack with them then because I think they were a bit more relaxed with me because I was there for a radio station and I wasn't looking to get the hard rugby like analytics and stuff. I was there to have a bit of crack because I was playing out on the radio and not everyone listening is a rugby fan. So I wanted to create interviews that suited everyone, even if you didn't like rugby. Who are you interviewing for here? This is when I was in Spin. Spin Southwest. Marty. Uh, Marty, for, yeah, Marty Gilfoyle for a few years and then Ed Roach for a few years and then I went to my own for a few years and then I left. I love Marty. I don't know Ed. I'm sure he's lovely. Um, oh, Marty, yeah, they're both fab lads. They're such talented radio presenters. Like, they were great crap for me because it was breakfast show and it, was, it wasn't easy. But my Romance Rugby was the thing I did on my own for the station, but I'd bring it back and we played the breakfast show. And I was like, I always wanted fun stuff. So I always did my homework on about the lads outside of rugby because what I've learned over the years of interviewing people is they usually don't like talking about what they actually do. They prefer to talk about their hobbies and their other interests outside of their actual main thing. So I Yeah, but that's tough because you have to maintain a level of trust with the person where they usually answer like Pete O'Mani after a match. This is your training. Bang. The boys are great. Then you go to personal where he starts to trust you as an interviewer and then you go to hobbies personal. It's such a Japanese aid, sub, like super Freudian, but like you, 
you did good to even get in past the personal. And it's funny because every time I'd ask, so like we'd always be roundtable interviews. So I first the journalists, the rugby like pundits would go first, and they'd ask all the analytical, the rugby, and this and that and that and the line out and yada yada yada. And I was always the last. So by the time it came to me, all the questions were pretty much gone. And so I was like, well. So I'd always have the throwaway comments. So I'd have whether they had like I'd always go by their Instagrams and what they posted so it was public. So whether yeah. it was dogs, whether it was babies, whether it was music or GA, and then suddenly you'd see a switch in them because they were like, oh, oh, I don't have to talk about rugby, and then Fun suddenly question. Talk about, and they would so they start you see their face light up because they knew that I did my homework and they knew that I was asking about something that wasn't rugby. But they've and also let their guard down from the previous tirade of questions from Yeah, and then the they, were, they always relaxed with me and I always got really nice content and really good stuff and like fun stuff. And it wasn't like, yeah, that was a great game. I was like, oh, like, oh my God, yeah, my dog. Oh my God, he's classy. And like, oh yeah, just see what he did this. And oh, he did that too. And then suddenly I'd get like actually a better interview because I'd have the kind of energy and the zest whereas I wasn't just getting the mundane yeah it was a not, that was a bad game yeah next week now we're going to work on this yeah we hope to beat them you know I always got this a bit more and I that's my job well that's my job as, as a presenter that's my job as an interviewer is to get the good stuff out of you and to that's why you're bloody good at your job that's a lot of learning and your previous experience with everything just helps that it's really yeah. nice to hear this is why I invited you on the podcast that's inspiring because kid who goes through some shite makes good interviews early. Like, how is that not rugby or chess? That's just making the best out of a shite situation. And that's super commendable. That's like real. And I think Limerick is real and Cork is real, but I don't know. Galway, it's realness. Um, you're like a, a mutt. I know, I've been everywhere. I'm not finished yet. Oh, feck it, I know that. Where are you going to go next? I don't know, and I don't... I've no plans to leave Limerick anytime soon. Boy, the good. But I just... <laughs> you literally hit the two-hour limit. And they were like, Boom. no. So we go again. Where are we at? Keep going. We are at you working too much and maybe allowing a guy to take some of that workload off you. Out of your mind. Yeah, I think if I met someone, I would I would probably, yeah, I'd have to literally sit down and be like, right, I'm going to have to say goodbye to something here or else cut back on something. And I would be up for that because obviously if you make, but like if the person was right, and I'd make this time and space for them. Um, would you? Oh, I know I would because if someone was worth, like, obviously if I met someone and they were, like, that special, I would because I think that's important in a relationship. It's important to have, it's important to have your own stuff to do separately, but then it's also very important to make time for each other. And I know that myself, like, anyone that I've been seeing in the past, whatever while, um, when I actually am with them on my own, I usually put my phone away and I don't, like, I could, like, be with them for a couple hours and my phone doesn't be like my friends I like mess with like you okay and I'm like oh yeah no I'm with whatever so and so that's St Andrew territory you're, yeah so I am, and I am good for that when I am with someone I do put my phone away and I like I've had guys for me like oh I suppose you're gonna put me on your story and I'm like absolutely not I was like I wouldn't put that side of my life on my Instagram at all unless I was very confident that this person was like here for the long haul like so yeah you should be lucky to go on my story you douche 
Yeah, no, and I'm very funny about that. I wouldn't put someone on my story unless it was very, very solid. That because when you're sharing that, you're sharing a massive part of your life. And even at that, I don't know if I'd want to share the person unless we both were very much so like, yes, let's put it on Instagram. Otherwise, I'd be like, keep that kind of private because it's nice to have private a private life in this public sphere. But yeah, no, I definitely would, right. I would give up work if I and I'd obviously make changes if I had to. And like, if I met someone that lived somewhere else and things were going well, like I'd consider one or what like we'd have to consider moving because i'm not going to do i did long distance before and i certainly won't be doing it again so if i met someone and it was they were right i'd i if i had to relocate and because they were that special i would it's really frustrating because you say you want to go to itv that's your dream job yet you want a galway boy to to follow you no i never said galway boy now <laughs> whoever boy you want to you want a saint andrew to follow you that's tough because you might have to sacrifice England to stay. Are you willing to sacrifice your career for a boy? Oh, interesting. Um, again, if they were the, if they were the right person and if they made me feel like that, then if we'll say, like I'm trying to think of a scenario where I'd have to give up my career. Um, You're not allowed to go to England. I want you to stay in Ireland and start a family. So you have to give up your body and your career. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. But I guess, yeah, if you met someone and they were worth all that, I think you, you that's when you make those sacrifices. I think you're like, we are career driven for so long. And then when we do meet someone, that's when a lot of people make changes in their life. Like pe people give up their careers to have families or to move places. And I think, like, if I, I just haven't met someone yet that's made me give, actually asked me to do that or expect me to do that or even made me want to do that so I suppose if I was to meet that person like maybe I'll be totally surprised maybe the next time I speak to you I'll be like oh my god you never guess I've quit and I'm now retired and married Rochi I've met Andrew Andrew Jr but that's the thing I've said like my friends do joke like we have a joke that I'll probably end up being the, even though my friends are all in long-term relationships they reckon that I could be the first one married because I'll probably be I could be the last yeah there done I think you should go to Lord's <laughs> that's true following your mum's footsteps you'll just first guy off the plane come here you're coming to Ireland oh maybe that's where I'm going wrong maybe that's what I need to do cheeky trip to Medj <laughs> sorry now just, do you want to go to uh, Lourdes together what no you have to find him in Lourdes oh, okay sorry well I don't know if there's a Galway massive trip going <laughs> over there dance on the tables in Lourdes find your boy and then bring him back oh, that's mm. that's romantic your mum did it well true a big shout out to to P, Mrs. P. Oh, she's a good one. You've a lot of you. You've given me so much to think about. This is such a nice conversation. It's been fast. It's been so good. It's so good because I get to hear your story, and the Limerick Post are so lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. That's true, and I think everyone who listens to this podcast. In two hours and four minutes and 46 seconds. We're coming up 21 21 if you want to push. Um, I think anyone who listens to this podcast, number one, will be interested, and number two, will realize how nice a person you are. Thank you. No, I do. I do appreciate that. I think that's important for people to understand that I'm still a real person no matter what. And I think sometimes people maybe that know me from social media might think that I'm, they've been perceived kind of notion of who I am but it's like no it's like the real me is well I, I keep it as real as I can on Instagram but still there's a lot more more to me than what you see on my social media 
Instagram isn't real though. Do you know what I mean? True. Um, everyone, I kind of think about it like this. Everyone just sees you from Dundrum. Yeah. Where you know your story from Dundrum to Limerick. And it's fascinating, heartbreaking, um, respectable and so commendable because that's what people go through to get to a level where you are at. And that's why people will be inspired by you. That's why I'm inspired by you. And I just want to thank you for doing the podcast. Oh, and thank you so much for having me on. I've actually had such a great time. I can't believe we've been over two hours. So those who've stayed with it's us. Been the wine. Thank you. What? Did you bait into the wine? No, I actually didn't. I, I'm going to make some food after this and I'm going to enjoy it with a, a nice uh, a nice bit of dinner. And then I'll, uh, I'll be getting myself into bed then with some Netflix and I'll be having a lovely night's sleep because I feel very relaxed now. Don't tell Dawn, lad. <laughs> Number six, where are you? He, I, I'm on this vegan diet at the moment, right? And I feel great. Interesting. Like three quarters of stone down, lovely vegan food from clean cut meals. Like good, like good, no drink. I'm on the coffee and the tea and the water. Trying to sleep well, but it's tough with three interviews a day. I'm telling you, you'll either sleep great after this one or else you will be awake all night thinking of everything. <laughs> oh, you've left it out there, man. I'm just happy I got to be a part of it. Um, how are you feeling? Good, actually. I'm, I'm really enjoyed this. I've actually been sitting on my floor the whole time in my on my bed, up against my bed, and it's been lovely. And it's been so nice to share that with you and to those who are listening. And uh, like, I love chatting about my family, and I, I I don't mind sharing my past at all because I think it's important because it's made me who I am. But it also can help anyone. You know, someone might identify with what I said and be like, oh, okay, that's that's maybe what happened to me, and it might help someone to take a step forward, get a bit of help get professional help, talk to people around you, tell them how you're really feeling. and uh, Write a fucking book. Write a book or two. Yeah, sure enough. Why not? Start today. There's, there's, there's always time to start these things. And yeah, look, as I said, I just hope that um, I can inspire people as well and help people on their own journey um, and also just continue on my own one as well and keep going as I'm going and work less and be happier and bring the number six with me. <laughs> I just... I. Do you want to find six or do you want to keep working? I'll keep working for now. Bad choice. You're going to have them all lined up around the three bridges. I'll be going out for my run now and be like, why are all these lads standing with cups of coffee for me? Too right, I am. <laughs> I've already lined them up. They're going to be there by themselves. Oh, I look forward to it. Oodies everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. You've given me so, like, that content. Megan Scully, thank you very much. Best of luck with the sales of your book. Best of luck with Limerick Post. Best of luck with the interview that comes out tomorrow on post.ie. 9am. Uh, 9am? Oh, damn, I'll be at work. I'll have to deal with the trade of text messages. Exactly. I don't know when this is going to come out. I'd like to release it over the next couple of days, I think. Strike while they are. Um, thank you for coming on my podcast. Thank you for being one of the top 10 inspiring people that I've asked oh thank you so much Brian it's been an absolute pleasure and we'll either be seeing each other on the three bridges for coffee and a walk and a, and a natter or else at another award show oh let's not do the awards <laughs> can I let's leave that I can't stand losing anymore oh. today FM are going to beat me <laughs> and you um, okay go on um, have a lovely you evening. too thank you so much
Bye, Megs. Bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, was Megan Scully, my wonderful, wonderful friend. I really enjoyed that conversation. Really hope you liked it, because I liked it. Take it easy, lads. Hope you like the next few.